0: During our times together in the the sermon, we have been going through uh, Genesis. Uh, We've seen uh, not only God's creation of all things, but humanity's rebellion uh, of God's good and benevolent care and rule over us. And we've begun to see some of the effects of sin as it's played out. But we've also seen a lot of God's redemption and his care and his mercy and his commitment to his covenant promises of of rescue and, and restoration. And we're going to continue our, our journey through, through Genesis. Um, we're going to be in chapter 6 this morning. Um, uh, and I think if you're following along in one of the Black Bibles, I think it's on page 5 uh, this morning. I think that's, that's right. Um, and so uh, we will uh, continue through uh, a por- just a portion of chapter 6 this morning as we see how these issues of sin and God's, uh, God's fulfillment of His promises played themselves out. So if you would, follow along with me. We're in um, uh, verse 1 of chapter 6. When man began to multiply on the face of the land, and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive, and they took as their wives any they chose. Then Yahweh said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God came in to the daughters of man and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men of old, the men of renown. Yahweh saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And Yahweh was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So Yahweh said, I will blot out man whom whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens. For I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of Yahweh. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your, for your word. We thank you that you have revealed yourself to us. Uh, we thank you that, uh, Holy Spirit, you work through your word read and your word preached. And we pray that you would do that this morning. God, uh, all of our hearts, God, my, my mouth and my teaching as well as we work through this passage that Jesus might be glorified. Um, it's in his name that we pray. Amen. I don't know if many of you remember, his back in the 90s, there was this football player that, uh, that played for the Atlanta Falcons. His name was Andre Risen. He's known as Andre Bad Moon Rising. actually. Uh, but he was uh, married in a relationship with uh, 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 Left Eye from the hip-hop group TLC. And they had quite a tumultuous relationship. And uh, so on one eventful night in, uh, in Atlanta, uh, they had gotten into an argument, and Andre Risen had left and gone out, uh, around town, and he'd actually gone shopping. And when he came back, he had bought quite, uh, a lot of shoes. And Left Eye was very upset, um, that, uh, uh, that Andre had left her out and couldn't believe that he also didn't purchase her lots of shoes. And, uh, they got, uh, into it as they had been known to do in their, in their neighborhood. And, um, uh, Andre, again, stormed off and left, uh, left their community. Well, uh, Left Eye didn't stop there. She, uh, she grabbed some of the shoes that he had just purchased and put them in the bathtub, and uh, she lit them on fire. Well, um, not only did the shoes burn, but uh, the, the bathroom caught on fire. The rest of the house caught on fire. She walked outside, and she stood out by their pool and she just watched the whole thing burn to the ground. Uh, vengeance, anger, spite. You don't give me the shoes I think I deserve? Well, I'll show you. Uh, nobody's going to have anything. You're not going to get the shoes. If I'm not going to have them, you're not going to have this house. And the whole thing burnt uh, burnt to the ground. Uh, in In this passage, we see... God's anger, his being upset at things that are going on within uh, his creation. Um, why is he mad? Why is he responding like this? Is he just like left eye? Is it just, well, uh, out of spite and, and vengeance that the Lord is like uh, going to wipe man off of the earth? At first, it seemed like he was a god of creation, and now all of a sudden it seems like he's in a, a place where he's focused on destruction and demolition um, is God's response and his attitude different from left eye why is he doing and is his response like that in this passage well we'll hopefully understand some of that as we as we go through it uh, and and there's going to be a lot of questions that we have to answer, obviously, as we're trying to figure out why is God responding the way he has in this, in this passage. Um, and the first, the first question that comes up is, what is it about, about these marriages? Do you notice as, how it started off in verse 1? When man began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive, And they took as their wives any they chose. Then Yahweh said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be a hundred and twenty years. It's it's in response to these marriages that God comes out with this declaration that his spirit is not going to abide with man and he's going to limit their their days to a hundred and twenty years. We'll talk more about that later, but... For some reason, in response to these marriages, God is responding with this uh, declaration that he is going to bring destruction. Um, why? What's, what's the deal? Why does God care so much about these marriages that he would respond like this? Uh, Moses gives us a little bit of a hint. Remember Moses is uh, the one who is writing this to the people of Israel as they were in Egypt, and the way that he describes what's going on, look at the language that he uses in verse 2. The sons of God saw that the daughters of men saw that the daughters of men were attractive or good, and they took as their wives any they chose. Moses here is using the same language to describe what the sons of God are doing to the daughters of man that he used to describe what Eve was doing when she ate of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil when she wasn't supposed to. She saw that it was good and she took. God's looking at these marriages and whatever it is and whoever it is, these sons of God and what they're doing to the daughters of men, God is looking upon it. And he sees it as something that he did not intend. It's disobedience. It's sin. Why? Well, in order to understand that, we need to know, who are these sons of God? Who are these daughters of men? That What they're doing, this marriage is, I mean, didn't God call them to be fruitful and multiply? Didn't he bless marriage? What's going on here? Uh, well, uh, Well, the context, I think, helps us figure out who these two groups are. These two separate groups that are described. Some are, are talking about a being of God, and some are described as being of men. Remember, in the context previously, what did we see in chapter 4? Remember, Cain was introduced to us, who killed his brother Abel. He was one of Adam and Eve's sons. And there, uh, Moses tracks down and describes Cain's line and those who descended from him. And um, what we saw of them is that they did not walk with the Lord. They did not worship him. In fact, they lived their lives away from the presence of God, and they did not uh, obey or follow him as as if he was their father and they were his children. The next chapter, in fact, the end of chapter 4 introduces us to someone else, Seth. And what it says of Seth in his line is that in those days, people began to call upon the name of Yahweh, or they began to worship him. And in fact, we actually see that play out in chapter 5. As it lays out to us seth 's line, and what do we see in that line? We see people who are beginning to to live out a life of of worship, walking when, with God. We saw that with Enoch. We saw those who are who are hoping in God and in his promises. they are following him and at least attempting to follow him in a life of obedience uh, so I think that helps us understand and, and fill out who these sons of God and daughters of man are. It seems what's going on, because elsewhere in Scripture we see uh, that the same terminology of sons of God described as those who are, who are walking and following uh, uh, the God of the of the Bible. What's happening is the, the sons of God, the line of Seth, for some reason the men in this line are beginning to marry those so, some of the women from Cain's line. Uh, these, This line who is, who is worshiping and following after God for some reason is beginning to move away from that and are pursuing marriages and relationships with those who aren't seeking after God. And God looks upon it. He sees it as being sin and it frustrates and angers him. It grieves him. Why? Why? Israel would have needed to know this. This has been important. Um, if, if we actually think about the original audience and what would have been communicated to them, uh, as we look through Israel's history, uh, we see that as the people of God begin to marry those who aren't worshiping and following after the covenant God of, of Israel, things begin to go bad. Uh, we, what we don't see is these other nations beginning to follow after God when they enter m- marry with them. What you begin to see is Israel strays away. And instead of worshiping the one true God, they begin to worship these false gods. And their lives begin to look like not uh, humanity living a, r- a relationship and restored uh, communion with God, but they begin to look like uh, the other nations as they live in disobedience and in disregard for God and His, and his law. Um, what God is uh, concerned with here is the reason that He's so upset with these marriages is because He uh, is He cares deeply about His covenant and His mission of rescue and restoration. These marriages, fresh, uh, these marriages, God cares so much about these marriages because uh, the covenant promises and fulfillment of them are at stake. You see, Israel was called, and God's, all humanity actually, we've been placed here to demonstrate God's beauty and his glory, his power and his might and his redemptive work. Uh, But Israel is compromising that, uh, the way that they begin to to live. And we're seeing that here with with Seth. What God is is telling uh, the people of Israel as they're reading this and he's telling us is, look, your marriages, they're not just for you. They're not just for your good, for your happiness, um, for you to have a, a tax write-off. They're not just there for you to, to produce a family and find companionship. Although those things may be important and are a part of marriage, God is saying that marriages are much, a part of something much bigger. They're a part of His grand mission of rescue and restoration. And you need to understand how your marriage, people of God, fits into this greater picture of what God is doing in the world. When your marriages are not centered around the worship and uh, walking with God, and your your marriages and your families are not spiritually whole and healthy, not only do your family suffer, But the mission of God's work in the world suffers. That is why God looks upon this and He's so upset. Because the mission is at stake. God has invited us to participate in this great mission. And families and marriages play a key foundational role in that. Uh, Think about our our culture and our society. Just in general. um, As we see, uh, when marriages break down... And families are broken. It doesn't just hurt the people in those marriages and those families, does it? There's a ripple effect as it goes out further and further in our, in our society. Uh, the same is true for God's people, and especially as it relates to that, that spiritual aspect the purpose of, of marriages as God is working out his covenant promises is to be the foundation of our society and our world where through uh The promises of God are passed on as husbands and wives seek to encourage and and love one another and urge each other closer as worshipers of God, as they care for their children and they nurture them and they tell them of the covenant promises of this God who has entered into this world, who has placed his name upon them and who is returning and communicates to them the privilege that it is to live out restored humanity in God's world and to be a light to the nation's. God has blessed us that we might be a blessing. But if we just see our marriages as being just for us and it's all about just our happiness and we don't see it fitting into this great picture, then we don't realize that God's mission of rescue and redemption suffers. That's that's important. It's important for us to to know and and understand uh, for for those of you here who are, who are believers, who are following God, and you are indeed married to someone who, uh, who also follows God, who is looking to Christ, um, God would call us to remember this and see how our marriage plays a bigger role than just what it does for our family. The role we play in His big work of redemption all around. And the, the importance that we should place upon the spiritual nurture and care of those within our Our homes. Uh, If you're if you're not married and you're you're hoping to be or you're engaged at the time this time, God would call you as a believer and see in the importance of pursuing a relationship with someone who is walking with God, who is one who follows and worships the God of the Bible and depends and trusts upon Jesus, the promised offspring because your marriage plays a role in God's redemptive work in the world and it's a vital foundational piece. Some of you might be here and thinking, "Well, I'm I'm not engaged, I'm not married. What does this really apply to me? How does it matter?" Well, remember, we are also a family here, a community. God is our father. And the health and spiritual well-being of our little community here has a great effect uh, on this town of Elizabeth City. And as our individual relationships suffer and struggle, uh, it will affect our ministry and work in the world. And so it's important for all of us, whether we're single or married or not, to be encouraging and engaged in one another's lives, to encourage one another on, that our health spiritually as we depend and trust on God would grow and flourish for the sake of the mission. Some of you may be here and you're like, well, I do believe in in Jesus, but when I got married, that wasn't something that was really on the forefront of my mind. And I, in fact, have found myself and I'm married to someone who is not a believer. What, do, what does that mean? Is God perpetually angry at me? And am I... Am I is this going to happen? Any day he's going to wipe me off of the face of the planet along with me and all of my pets? Um, no. No. Uh, God knows your struggle and your hurt. You you too would know the difficulty that comes when there's a house that's divided and your, your motivations, your intentions, how you're going to parent your children, your focus and what moves you. Uh, and God would... Uh, Uh, One, He would call you to to acknowledge that and repent of that, but to know His forgiveness and His mercy. And to know He's present with you in the midst of that. And to long and pray for your spouse to come to know Him. To experience being restored to Christ. And uh, for you to also engage well and for us as a community to love and encourage one another who find themselves in those places. God is, looks here. He looks at the, what, for some reason, the line of Seth has strayed away. They saw that they were good or attractive and they took them, focused on themselves and forgetting this grand picture of God's mission and redemption. And in light of this, God is grieved. Well, And he promises that this, this punishment, this destruction is coming. Well, all right. So God's concerned about these marriages because he's concerned about his great mission of rescue and restoration. Well, why this promise of destruction? If he's so concerned with rescue and restoration, what an extreme punishment. Why is this his response? Well, let's look and see. Look in verses 4 through 7. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward when the sons of God came into the daughters of man and they bore children to them. These are the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. Yahweh saw that the wickedness of man uh, was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And Yahweh was sorry that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. So Yahweh said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. Uh, God looks down and, and He sees what's going on. There's several things being described here. We've already seen this, uh, the sin of the sons of God or the line of Seth pursuing these daughters from, from Cain's line. But here He describes these, the Nephilim. They were on the earth in these days. They're described as of mighty men, men of renown. Mighty men is a, a term that's used elsewhere in, in, in the Bible to describe warriors. Uh, mighty men who demonstrated their might in battle. Uh, how we understand what their part plays in here is the Lord looks on not just them, but these marriages that are happening. The Lord gives us His evaluation of what's happening. In verse 5, Yahweh sees that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Uh, as God looks on not just these marriages that are happening, but on the Nephilim and others, this mighty acts, that these mighty men and the things that they're doing are acts of destruction and violence. The Lord looks on, uh, we're seeing the breakdown as, as the line of Seth has, has drifted away from worshiping God, and we're seeing the result of what God says in verse 5. Notice how he piles up how far-reaching the depravity and brokenness of everyone in the world is. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. And then in case we we miss, Moses doesn't want us to miss it, every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Sin is pervasive through the world at this point. No one's heart is free of it. The intentions and thought of everyone is only evil continually. God looks down upon the sin and violence and destruction and disobedience that is on, his, on, the, uh, on the, the earth. Notice his response. The, Yahweh was sorry that he made man on the earth. It grieved him to his heart. God looks down, and there's this this aspect of grief and hurt and pain from the Creator who made all things. A mixture of anger and sorrow as He looks down upon what has happened to His creation and how man is suffering, but also how His creation is being distorted. And God grieves. But look at how God has been revealed up until this point He's been a trustworthy Creator. He's been one who does what is good. He's just and he's right and he's righteous. The understanding we have here is that the response God has is the proper response to sin. His response of grief and sorrow and this declaration of punishment and destruction that comes from from being actually what we're seeing as being an enemy and a rebel of God. It's the right response that God says, I will blot out man whom I've created from the face of the land, man and animals, creeping things, and the birds of the heavens. Uh, God is going to judge sin and injustice. All of God's enemies will be punished. That's what this passage is telling us. That's sobering news. If you are not looking to God and taking your sin to Him, responding to His invitation to confess your sin, living in rebellion, God is saying, you're setting yourselves up as one of my enemies. And the proper response of me is the sovereign, righteous Creator. My just response is to punish sin and to punish and destroy my enemies. What should that be if that is where you are this morning? The response should be, hopefully, that you would turn and repent. And we'll see that, that later. But that is a sober message coming from this passage. The other side of it, though, is, is for those who find themselves in a place of injustice, who are the, the victims of those who are perpetrating violence and destruction in the earth. Uh, Israel would have experienced this. Remember, they've been suffering under the hands of the Egyptians. Notice, uh, remember also, as Israel is going into, and God defeats those enemies, the enemies of his people and enemies of him, and as Israel goes into Canaan, they're they're afraid to go into the land and and claim the land that God has given them. And one of the reasons they are afraid is because they look on the people of the land, and one of the things they say is, they're like the Nephilim. And so they don't want to go in. But here, what does God say? It doesn't matter how powerful and mighty you are, what kind of uh, strength you have in this world. It doesn't matter if you're a mighty man of war or politics or battle or whatever. I will overcome my enemies. And if you are suffering at the hand of enemies, God will ultimately, of his enemies, God will ultimately bring salvation and redemption. You who are suffering and hurting under the effects of sin in this world, notice, God knows what you're going through. He looks down And he grieves. He hurts. God grieves and is sorrowed over your pain. And the injustice that you're experiencing. And you can know that even though it might not look like it now. God will ultimately bring about justice. And he will punish and defeat all those who have rebelled against Him and bring about justice and righteousness in His world. This passage is a sober warning and a reminder of that for us. But still, alright, destruction, demolition. What about this mission of rescue and restoration? What about the grace? Where is it? Where is it in this passage? What happened to this God who creates all things? who has made all things good. Now he seems to be working backwards and destroying it. Not just man, but every creature that crawls across the face of the earth. What is happening? Where is the grace? Notice verse 7. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. You know what? That actually could have been what we read in chapter 3 of Genesis when Adam and Eve took the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That actually should have been God's response. Period. The end. No more Bible. No more existence for us. But it's not. That is not the end of the story. And in fact, this it is isn't the end of this, the story here. We've seen God be patient. If this is the right and proper response to sin, God hasn't responded like this. Notice back up in verse 3. My spirit will not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be 120 years. When God declares that he is going to bring this punishment, he waits 120 years the people who are on the land, the lines of Seth and Cain, the Nephilim, they have 120 years to repent and to respond as they hear God's declaration of the consequences of their sin. He is patient, longing that they would come to repentance. God is gracious in His patience and not quickly bringing this punishment and judgment on the world. He gives warning. And in fact, here, we, we realize we're, we're living here now. Man wasn't wiped out. We'll see a little bit of that here in a little bit. But God has given us here a picture, a foreshadow of his ultimate judgment of sin. We see God provide, and he'll provide a way um, of, of escape from this. But there's lots of places in Scripture where God gives a little bit of a peek into the ultimate judgment of sin that's coming. We see it here later. We'll see it with Sodom and Gomorrah and what happens there. We see it happen with the Egyptians Um, a little bit. We see it with uh, what's happening in the conquest in the the land of Canaan. God's punishment of his people through uh, through the exile. God gives foreshadowing of this judgment that will come as warnings Warnings of so that people will see and it will be evident. This is what happens when you live unrepentant in rebellion against God. Judgment will come. But the offer of forgiveness and restoration stands. As long as the destruction hasn't come, God is still speaking to you. Come to me. Come to me. I grieve and I hurt, and I'm in sorrow over your sin. Won't you come and be restored to your Creator? Let me forgive you. God extends grace. And we see that here. I am sorry that I have made them. In verse 8, but, it doesn't end there. He doesn't just wipe it out. But Noah found favor in the eyes of Yahweh. Yahweh. Remember that covenant? Name of God. God is remembering his covenant in light of this is what sin deserves. I'm remembering the covenant that I made and the covenant that I'm keeping. And I'm not going to ultimately wipe out man because I've promised this offspring who will come, who will redeem and restore and defeat the evil one and wipe away all the effects of sin. And mankind must be left on this earth in order for that to happen. And Noah, even though everyone on the face of the earth is found to be continually evil, the Lord find, Noah finds favor in God's sight. Finding favor is, is a terminology and language that's used of, of, uh, of someone who is lesser or who is subservient, who might not even deserve or expect any kind of favor or grace to come to them. Experiences that from someone of, uh, uh, in a place of higher uh, standing. Here, Noah finds undeserved favor from God, in light of the wickedness that's going on, God remembers His covenant, and He says, I'm going to have a mission of rescue and restoration. My covenant promises are going to be fulfilled. This offspring that I have promised will come, and I'm going to save Noah in order that my promises might continue. There is this show on, I think it's on HGTV, called Rehab Addict. And there is this, uh, uh, the lady who, who's on the show, her name is Nicole Curtis, and she's in Michigan. And what she does is she goes in and she buys houses in Michigan, old historic homes, like from the 19, uh, early 1900s, late 1800s, and she seeks to restore them, rescue and restore them. Uh, but if you were to go in at the beginning of her project, you would think, man, You're not in the business of rescue and restoration at all. You're destroying this house. You're demolishing it and tearing it apart. Bathrooms are gutted. Kitchens are torn down. Decorations and fixtures are ripped out of the ceiling and the walls. Why? Because they don't belong. They don't belong. These bathroom fixtures and kitchens were things that were added later in the 50s, 70s, 90s. They weren't the original design and intention of the architect and the creator. They take away from the the way the house should function and it should work. In order to make it accurate and to function properly, demolition and destruction has to occur in the process of rescue and restoration. And that is what God is doing here he hasn't forgotten his promises. He is still on this mission of rescue and restoration. But sometimes rescue and restoration necessarily involves demolition and destruction. God is in the work of redeeming and restoring all things. And he will dis- in the process, his enemies will suffer. Sin will have consequences. But He is doing this as He keeps His promise to bring the promised offspring. The one who will come and redeem. Who actually, we saw, He's going to bruise the head of the serpent, but it will bruise His heel. It will cost Him. Because this, rest, this restorer, this rescuer, will actually have to undergo demolition and destruction Himself to save us from the demolition and destruction that we deserve Mercy is there, its own offer, from the redeeming and rescuing and restoring God. Our sin deserves punishment, but He pursues graciously and patiently, offering and extending this invitation. When you repent, I will forgive, I extend mercy, and I will be faithful to my covenant. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we struggle to look at our own sin We struggle to acknowledge how we have strayed from you and what is going on in this uh, world. Thank you for giving us passages like this. The warning of your your judgment is actually grace. Help us to see this. Move our hearts to call out to you, to cling to your promises, to hope in the restoration that's to come. Uh, We need you.